following sermon is from Faith Bible Church, located in Murrieta, California. More information about Faith Bible Church is available at www.faith-bible.net. What's real and what's fake? What is reality and what is deception? I'm told the Matrix proved reality was a computer program created by an artificial intelligence that you're plugged into in order to generate power for the AI who has taken over the planet. That's reality. I'm told Inception proves that reality is just multiple layers of dreaming required a spinning top to determine if you're awake or if you're dreaming. I'm told that a cat seems like a pet, but in reality, it's a servant of Satan. (laughs) What is real... And what is fake? What's genuine and what is phony? Interesting enough, when it comes to the spiritual reality of our our precious Lord Jesus Christ and His Word, there are those who preach and teach and live in the real world, and then there are those who actually live and teach in a world of phoniness, in a world of fakeness and deception. How can you tell them apart? Well, I want to give you two ways to begin this morning that might be able to be a help. First, in your outline, if you're tracking with us, watch out for the Trojan horse. Watch out for the Trojan horse. Now, you know the story. After failing to breach the walls of Troy, uh, the Greeks offered the city of Troy an amazingly large Trojan horse in honor of their, you know, supposedly admitted failure uh, and, uh, and admitted defeat. And it was accepting, though, this Trojan horse into the gates, into the city, which led to their destruction. The horse was filled with sneaky Greeks who basically opened the gates of Troy and let the entire Greek army into the city, which then killed all the citizens and destroyed their once great city. Well, this is a a parallel to understanding error and how to deal with it. Many false teachers today are Trojan horses. They teach some topic or doctrine with evangelical conservative excellence. But once you accept them into your thinking, you let them in, so to speak, with this wonderful teaching that they've given you, then comes a poison in their other teaching. Uh, which will destroy you. And I'll give you an example, uh, a man named N.T. Wright. He wrote a landmark book called The Resurrection of the Son of God. And it is an outstanding defense of the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. What getting the resurrection right seems to have opened the gate of acceptability and uh, receptivity of many people accepting Wright's then subsequent books, which are deadly. They're deadly. In them, the cross, justification, and penal substitutionary atonement are, are all heresy. Uh, they're taught as, and, they're, and they're incorrect. And Wright continually attacks and undermines the classic biblical doctrine of the righteousness of Christ that is imputed or reckoned to the sinner's account. We're covered in his righteousness. He destroys or seeks to destroy that truth. Right, and all false teachers like him get you to invite him in as a Bible teacher through great teaching on the resurrection, but then utterly destroys the faith of the make-believer, the soon-to-be believer, and confuses the elect true believer with his errant view 
on justification. Now listen, justification, the cornerstone of that is the reckoning of righteousness to the believer's account. Do you understand that? That Christ himself covers you in his righteousness, which then allows you to stand in God's presence. And is this the very truth that N.T. Wright is undermining? So it's a Trojan horse. Apart from imputed righteousness, salvation is utterly impossible. N.T. Wright is very wrong. Watch out for the Trojan horse. The Trojan horse is you uh, get excited, you accept a particular person's position on one doctrine, and then comes the errant doctrine, the poison. Secondly, you want to watch out for the avoidance of clarity. The avoidance of clarity when you hear the word. Now, the avoidance of clarity is a typical error of many young men today in the church. Men who are unwilling to study as they try to lift themselves up above the truth by not claiming any position at all. You ask them, what do you believe about the sign gifts? Oh, I haven't decided. Uh, You know, I see some truth in both positions. Why? So they can play both sides. And in reality, what they're doing is they're unwilling to wrestle, unwilling to offend, unwilling to study, unwilling to stand for truth. They seek to please men over God. Now, this same approach is found in a much more serious level with false teachers. You see, be aware that the false teacher only survives in ministry by being vague. Lack of clarity. They hem and haw over issues. They avoid declaring their true position, which undermines genuine salvation in Christ, denies the essential doctrines of the Christian faith, and they avoid clarity in order to be avoiding being declared a heretic. So they avoid it. And because genuine Christians want to be loving and we tend to give these people the benefit of the doubt, even though they speak in a foggy and very unclear manner on essential truths, not tertiary, essential to the understanding of the gospel. N.T. Wright communicates a different gospel. He doesn't teach the gospel that saves And he teaches in a way that's obscure enough not to be pinned down. He's the master of answering questions by burying it in another question, obscuring it in a story, so you don't know what he really believes. Now, this goes on in the church all the time. There are even men who have benefited the true church, who behave in the same manner, like Tim Keller in New York. They obscure and are willing to declare their true beliefs over many fundamental doctrines even though lovingly questioned, lovingly prodded to share their beliefs by men like John Piper, Al Mohler, even John MacArthur. There are some men who remained veiled. They remained obscure. So here's the point. There are others with solid backgrounds like Francis Chan who played so loose and fast with doctrine for so long they are now crumbling under fundamental error. This is going on all the time. My brothers and sisters... It is a good rule of thumb when choosing your feeding grounds for Christian teaching is to remember this. Sound biblical teachers are always clear about the fundamental truths of the Christian faith. Let me say that again. Sound fundamental teachers are always clear, not vague, about fundamental truths in the Christian faith. They have no problem declaring the basic truths of the gospel, that it is God who covers us in his righteousness. Make certain you choose blogs and books and sermons that communicate doctrine not only accurately, but clearly and not with vagary. 
My friends, never forget, Jesus is the way and the what? Truth. There, there, there's not only, only one way to be saved, but there's only one way to understand salvation. Only one way to personally and intimately know the triune God, and that is through a correct understanding of God's truth, God's word. God's word. If you're a genuine believer, you love the truth because you have the spirit of truth indwelling you. You've got the Holy Spirit inside of you, and you understand you only know the truth when you allow the Bible to speak for itself. You allow it to speak for itself. No preacher ever has the right to make the Bible say what they want. God's assignment to the true preacher is work like a dog so the church hears what the original meaning of every verse is in Scripture. Preachers are supposed to, write this term down, exegete. Exegete means to draw out of the truth. You draw it out from the Word. You, you're letting it speak for itself, the original meaning of the Bible, what the original author meant to the original audience 2,000 years ago in another language, another culture, in another part of the world. Only then, after determining authorial intent, can you apply the truth today. You say, I think I've heard that before. Yeah, some of you were tuned in to Amy Coney Barrett's. Remember that? And she constantly, constantly was talking about we have to interpret the Constitution by seeking the original meaning intended by the authors 200 years ago. Listen, friends, that's how we approach the Bible. we got to understand what it meant by what it said 2,000 years ago and then draw that out, exegete that to you. Preachers are not allowed to, write this term down, eisegete. Eisegete, just spell it out. It means read in what you want the Bible to say. It means to read in. Preaching is to teach you God's truth as God revealed it in its original context. Preaching is not an emotional moment, even though the truth causes emotion. Preaching is not to be an experience, even though the Word of God will transform your life. Preaching is, is to honor both the Old and New Testaments and all the doctrines of the Bible, and true preaching and teaching is to be definitive and clear, not vague about what the Bible says, not obscure, not avoid what the Bible literally normally means. Are you getting this? Understand, true preaching is not meant to excite you, it's meant to expose you. True preaching is not meant to make you feel good, it's to make you fear God. And with that, you and I need to learn to discern the difference between false and true and real and what is fake. Now, some of you who know our ministry here and you know my life, I often do not mention the names of false teachers for one simple reason. There's only one reason why I don't. I did it today, but I normally don't. Because I want you to be able to determine who's fake and, and, and who's faithful. Who's fake and who's faithful. I don't want you to determine it because I said it. I want you to determine it because you know the truth and the filter and the lens to look at that. So understand, I want you to grow in discernment. I, I, I don't want you to, to depend on me. So when I'm dead and uh, the current crop of false teachers is gone and there's a whole new crop because there will be, you'll be able to, by God's word, to determine who's genuine and who's goofy, uh, who's biblical and who's bogus. I took a long time to make those up. I don't want you dependent on Chris. I want you dependent on Christ. I don't want you relying on my words. I want you relying on God's word. 
And therefore, in no way am I afraid to expose error or those who teach it. I just want you to be the most discerning congregation on the planet. So to accomplish that, we're going back to 2 Peter chapter 2. So open your Bibles, if you're not there, to 2 Peter chapter 2. If you've been with us since February, that was supposed to be funny. <clears throat> Understand, we're picking up a study that we dropped off when the whole world went crazy. And so we're going to go right back to it. And we're going to pick off where we left off. And the goal today is to sharpen your discernment so you can determine who is true and who is false. To convict your heart if you imitate the thinking of the lifestyle of the false. To cause you to grow in your love for our Savior who is truth and who loves the truth. And to warn you of the deception of the false so you can help others who are confused. And to motivate you to share the gospel with those who do not believe in an accurate gospel are you ready? We're going to get to chapter 2. We're going to spend four more weeks on this, this week and three more. And then we're going to get to chapter 3. And the chapter 3 is all about the second coming. Are you ready for that? I'm ready for it right now. <laughs> We've got to hurry up and get there. So let's go back to 2 Peter chapter 1. In chapter 1, in preparation for dealing with the false teachers, Peter taught there's no such thing as an incomplete believer. But you have everything you need to grow in Christ-like character which is crucial for you to be able to resist false teaching and false teachers that surround you on blogs and websites and radio and books, etc. In the second half of chapter 1, Peter taught you to grow confident in God's Word and to make sure that only the apostles' teaching trust only their teaching over any other teaching. Meaning, you want what they taught. You want what did the apostles mean by what they revealed in the New Testament? What did the apostles mean and what they revealed in God's word. And so you want that. Then in chapter 2, he warned of the doctrine of false teachers and then the coming doom of false teachers. And now we're into the deeds of the false teachers. Doctrine, doom, and deeds. And we've studied their subtle errant doctrine. We've also studied their coming doom, their judgment, like God judged the angels. He judged the pre-flood population of the world, and he judged homosexuals of Sodom and Gomorrah. And Jesus Christ promises to certainly judge these false teachers who are infiltrating and infecting the local churches in Asia Minor that he's writing to. It's become a real problem, and so he's addressing it head on. And just like those days, our Christian world now today regularly serves up lies disguised as truth for consumption, the deeds of false teachers. And basically, they're in churches even in our area, all around us. Many Christians looking for biblical discernment gobble up these morsels that people teach just randomly, and they find themselves getting spiritually sick. You know what happens when they get spiritually sick? They start to doubt, and then they get discouraged, and then they actually disappear from the church. That's what happens. And Peter says, you need to be discerning before you order from the menu, before you consume the food. I, I commend all of you, many of you here are super zealous not to eat bad food. You know, if I throw up a Twinkie, you're going to go, no, and I'm not going to eat that. But friends, you got to be even more discerning when it comes to spiritual food, and we're not. We need to be. There's a big difference between eating healthy food and eating a Twinkie, uh, and then between eating that which is good for your soul and that which will condemn your soul. Eating bad food might complicate your life, but eating bad spiritual food can affect your eternity 
And if it's not your eternity, but you're secure in Christ, then your ministry, your relationships, your outreach, your joy, your love, your zeal, your heart, and so much more. Verse 10 through 22, where we find ourselves now in 2 Peter, exposes the lifestyles of the phony, along with eternal consequences that accompany their direction and doctrine. These verses are telling you their beliefs and their behavior. It's talking about their personality and their practices. It's talking about their character and their conduct. Verses 10 through 22 describe seven reasons why their judgment is just. Seven qualities you're to never imitate, and seven <laughs> practices proving just how bad they are. So, long time ago, we looked at point number one we're going to review. Number one, their primaries. Their primaries. As Peter wraps up the certainty of their judgment, he focuses on their two primary characteristics. Two primary characteristics of the false teachers. One, they function by feelings. They function by feelings. Two, they reject all authority. Look at verse 10. And especially those who indulge in the flesh and its corrupt desires. They're, they're just led by their emotions, led by their feelings, what, what they think is right. And they, they elevate that to almost authoritative because they despise authority. They despise any authority but their own. They love their own authority. And you will know them by their primary sins. They indulge in whatever they desire, and they hate it when anybody tells them what to do. Some will be subtle and vague, and others will be defiant and overt. But regardless, you can tell who they are by their feeling-driven teaching and their anti-authority lifestyle. Number two, their pride. Their pride. Look at verse 10 and 11. Their daring. Their self-will. They, they do not tremble when they revile angelic ma majesties. Whereas angels who are greater in might and power do not bring a reviling judgment against them before the Lord. These false teachers are daring, meaning they're brazen, they're audacious. And then they're also, he adds, self-willed, exposing obstinate determination to go their own way and do their own thing. They, they're going to do what they want. They're going to figure out a way to do what they want. False teachers are so arrogant, are you ready for this? They will do what the holy angels won't do. They will do what the holy angels won't do. The mighty, awesome holy angels, even the chief holy angel, will not rebuke demons, will not rebuke the devil. But these false teachers will, and with an inflated overconfidence and an overinflated view of themselves and unashamed pride, they will continue to command, rebuke, and speak as if they have authority over the devil and his demons. They do not tremble, they have no fear or respect, or, but they arrogantly do what the perfect angels will not do. They are proud. So identify them by their primary sins and identify them by their pride. And now today, you'll know the false teacher by their predisposition. Their predisposition. Read verses 12 through 14. And as Peter describes the bents and the predispositions, the dispositions of the phony, okay? Of the phony. Verse 12, take a look at it. It says, but these, like unreasoning animals, take a look at the Bible, man. This is good. It's Bible, you know, verses 12 to 14. I see some of you staring at me. I'm going, you should be looking at your Bible. Okay, and if you didn't bring a Bible today, God will forgive your sin sick, shriveled up soul. But bring a Bible. This is faith. What's our middle name? Bible Church. That's right. Here we go. 
So verse 12, but these like unreasoning animals, born as creatures of instinct. I want you, the reason I get all worked up about the Bible here is that's what we're teaching, right? I don't care what I say. I want you to know what God says. So let's look at what God says. Look what he says. But these like unreasoning animals, he's talking about false teachers, born as creatures of instinct to be captured and killed, reviling where they have no knowledge, will in the destruction of those creatures also be destroyed. Suffering wrong, verse 13, as the wages of doing wrong, they counted a pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are stains and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions as they carouse. Are you ready for this? With you. They're carousing with the church. Verse 14, having eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin, enticing unstable souls, having a heart trained in greed, and then he says, accursed children. Now, that's their predisposition, number three. False teachers are not merely fallen people who are lost in their sins. They're not merely defiant sinners who are corrupt by nature. Uh, they're, they're not merely headed for eternal torment later. They are dangerous now. That's what Peter's saying here. They're dangerous now. They are people who pretend to be Christians and pretend to instruct in the word they present themselves as those who will help your walk with God, but they actually hurt your walk with God. Not just help, but hurt. And they're predisposed to oppose the work of God, malign the person of Christ, and destroy the true gospel. Understand their predisposition. Sir, so let's take a look at it. First, their penchant. Their penchant. What are, what are they leaning towards? Look at verse 12 and 13. Now, I, admittedly, these two verses are difficult to understand, especially in English. It says, verse 12, but these, like unreasoning animals, born as creatures of instinct to be captured and killed, reviling where they have no knowledge, will in the destruction of those creatures also be destroyed, suffering wrong as the wages of doing wrong. Now, verse 11, he showed us that they have no humility over the power of demons, authority of, over holy angels. Here in verse 12, the false teachers act like wild animals. What does that mean? Well, in verse 11, they're arrogant. They charge into the supernatural realm, cursing away at people, angels, and situations they don't understand. They say things like, we bind you. We put a hedge around you. We give you no authority here. We command you in the name of Jesus, that kind of stuff. And now in verse 12, the false teachers live like unreasoning animals, meaning this, write these two words down, unpredictable and dangerous. Unpredictable and dangerous. Listen, animals live by instinct. People live by feelings. Christians live by truth. One more time. Animals by instinct, people by emotion, and Christians live by truth. And verse 12 says they have no knowledge, no knowledge of the truth. They function contrary to truth. They're doing the opposite of what the Word of God teaches. They do what feels right, but in reality their actions are opposed to God and contrary to the Bible. Contrary. False teachers, you know, behave like that. Remember that calm and super pretty and just gorgeous Labrador uh, retriever that came up? You know, just, just happy, wagging its tail, and you reach your hand down, and it bites you. That's what they act like. You, you, they're they're going to bite you in some manner. And Peter says in verse 12, they function by instinct. Now, you know what instinct is. That's they respond to stimuli, and their response to stimuli is pre-programmed, 
having been dealt and built into their genetic makeup. They're basically doing what their fallen nature tells them to do. Listen, when you're a Christian, it says, behold, all things become new. You have a new nature. You don't have the old nature anymore, but they do. They do, and so they do what their lust desires. They do what their body desires, and that makes them dangerous. Now, look carefully, if you would, at three words in this verse, and it'll maybe help you understand it. Uh, in verse 12, it says, killed, see that, circle that, destruction, circle that, and destroyed. Those three words are actually the same Greek root word. And that root word, as it's translated, to ruin, to corrupt, to spoil, actually is often translated corruption or destruction. Corruption or destruction. Three times in this one verse, verse 12, he uses that same word. So it reads this way. But these, like unreasoning animals, born as creatures of instinct, are to be captured and corrupted and or destructed. Reviling where they have no knowledge will in the destruction or corruption of these creatures also be destroyed or corrupted. Peter's really clear here. What he's trying to tell you is that these guys are full of corruption. Everything they teach is corrupt and everyone they touch gets corrupted. It's really bad. And the penchant of these spiritual pretenders is to dishonestly present themselves as teachers in the church as if they know the word but they actually exhibit animal-like ignorance. Now, let's pick on your dog for a minute. When you talk to your dog, does it wag its tail? Yes. If you have a good dog, it wags its tail. As if they understand. They look at you like they understand. But they don't understand you. Oh, yeah, I know. Some of you are going to make a case. Oh, they understand the commands. They understand the tone of my voice. They understand that. They can't have a conversation with you, okay? Can let me put it that way? They can't do it. They bark at the burglar, and they bark at the mailman because they have no discernment. False teachers do not know the truth, the God of the truth. They bark at everything. In other words, this, false teachers may appear to know the word of God, but they don't know the God of the word. You might want to write that down. They appear to know the word of God, but they don't know the God of the word. And Peter says, reviling, they have no knowledge. They don't know what they're talking about. You know, like a cow or a sheep. Uh, they have no positive contribution to the church except for dying and basically being a bad example. I guess they can provide food. But they don't realize, as they unknowingly teach others, they're instructing them to march into the eternal slaughterhouse. And as they do, they're unaware that they themselves are marching into the same hell that they're teaching others to. Hence the verse 12. Again, if you look at it carefully, verse 12, it says, they will also be destroyed. They will not escape. Again, uh, you probably don't remember, but in chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, just like the angels, the pre-flood crea creation, and the sodomites were judged, these false teachers will be judged too. Their actions will not go unpunished. They will certainly die, and here they will also be eternally tormented in hell and separated from Jesus Christ forever. You say, why is Peter making such a big deal about their judgment? Why is he doing that? Listen, if you haven't faced this personally, Pastors face this all the time, but some of you and your family understand why he's making a big deal about this, because false teachers have torn families apart. A son, a daughter, a mom, a dad buys into the false teaching. It divides the family. It destroys the family. And because of that, these people are, are angry 
over the fact that these false teachers have been free to minister in their midst. And so they're dealing with that, and Peter's saying they will be judged. They will be judged for their false teaching. And look at verse 13, suffering wrong, suffering wrong as the wages of doing wrong. Suffering wrong is not the best translation, uh, since it might make you think that God was wrong to judge them. Uh, in, in the Greek word, suffering means to be damaged, to be harmed, to be injured. A better translation, they will be damaged or they will be harmed for doing wrong. Peter's telling you they're going to reap what they sow. And certainly and eternally be punished for those sins. The lake of fire is where the false teachers are going to forever endure the fury of God's wrath for suffering wrong, for playing loose and fast with the Bible. So not only do they have a penchant, but they also are partying. They're partying. Secondly, they're partying. Why is Peter so pointed? Why is he so, you know, making such a big deal about this and their ultimate judgment of the false teachers? Well, you might think, well, that's kind of unfair. It's not. Look at their behavior in verse 13. They count it a pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are stains and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions as they carouse with you. Now, why should they be judged? Is that really fair? Well, Peter validates the eternal judgment by describing in graphic detail their behavior. These unsaved teachers are even more immorally gross and defiantly deceptive than the unsaved, just normal pagan. Even the pagan world generally practices its perversion under the veil of darkness. But these pseudo-Christians with their, quote, God's grace is a free ticket to sin kind of teaching, were outwardly open about their sin. They were without shame, and they start their party in long before dark in front of everybody. As a general rule, your regular everyday unsaved sinner tends to practice their debauchery at nighttime. Take a look at this quote by John MacArthur, quote, according to historians in your outline, pagan Roman society tolerated dissipation and revelry as long as it was discreetly confined to the cover of darkness. But the Roman society frowned on it and disapproved of debauchery during the daytime when it could be viewed by everyone. Because of its public nature, such behavior was considered inappropriate in culture, even by Roman unbelievers. Nonetheless, the false teachers of Peter's day were so consumed with lust and greed, they were considered a pleasure, a privilege to revel in the daytime, not wanting to wait until nightfall, end quote. Peter's describing the corrupt lifestyle that frequently accompanies apostasy. Now, for some of you, you've got to reach way back, but men like Jimmy Swaggart, Jim Baker, long ago demonstrated that people who abandon the knowledge of God and the Word of God and sound doctrine often become immoral. They often be, live immoral because apostasy strips that person of all sense of impropriety and shame. There used to be boasting on the part of these men in live television of perversions in veiled language that they would make to their audience. That's how degenerate they had become. And look at the end of verse 13. Peter says their passion for perversion makes these spiritual charlatans appear like stains and blemishes. Listen, that's open sores. Anybody ever had an open sore? Don't admit it. It's filthy spots, defects, scabs, everything's a disease. They ruin everything they touch. Now listen, you've got to understand, this is the, the plain fact tension that false teachers face. And you have to know this. In order for them to basically survive, they either have to change the way they live or change what they teach. Are you getting me? They have to change the way they live or change what they teach. 
Well, they're not going to change their immorality. They're not going to run away from their lusts and their desires. They're not going to change their lifestyle. So what do they have to change? What they teach. So they change what they teach so they can justify, get it? Their immorality. Are you understand? They'll change their teaching so they can live immorally. That's the point of the false teacher. That's the point. And you, once you understand that, it opens your eyes to understand how they function. You really need to get that. That's why it is possible to belong to a church and become defiled from teaching and from the example of false teachers. You, you cannot remain in a church where heresy is embraced. So Peter reminds his readers, verse 13, these false teachers are like infectious sores, open wounds, as they revel in their deceptions and openly enjoy the fruit of sin. They infect others like a disease. They infect others with warped thinking and a wicked lifestyle. Sounds bad? No, actually it's a whole lot worse. They were attending church. They were infecting people as they prepared for, are you ready for this? For communion. Say, where do you get that? Right here in the text. False teachers brought their lewdness into the church, purposely choosing to carouse with the saints. He says, they're carousing with you, with the Christians. He makes that point, verse 14. That they're caroused, that word carouse means to eat together, to entertain together, at like a public meal. This reference is probably describing the church's love feast. It's something that the early church practiced that we don't practice on a regular basis. But basically, they had a giant feast together where rich, the rich or well-off could bring a lot of food. The poor could come and enjoy the fruits of that. They'd all be together, eating together as one family, and then they would then, then transition into communion. It was a full meal. And so the rich and the poor were together as one body, and the apostates would use this love feast as they gathered together to display their wealth, to pro proclaim their pride, and they sought to impress the ignorant who, and who, those who lacked discernment. They were faking their faith in Christ and pretending to have a rightful place at the communion table. All the while, what they're doing is they're poisoning the true believer or seeking to and destroying the make-believer. Listen, when you're secure in Christ, are you secure forever, yes or no? Yes, so a false teacher can't actually cause you to lose your salvation, but they can cause you to be discouraged. They can cause you to doubt. They can cause you difficulty in your Christian faith. And for the person who's close to Christ, not quite there yet, the, or the make-believer, they can destroy them. They can destroy them. And the New Testament tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that warns every genuine believer to make certain your heart is right before the Lord before participating in communion. They're undermining communion amazingly. So Peter warns that the false teachers will seek to deceive you. Look at verse 13 reveling in their deceptions, and deceptions is to cheat or to give the wrong impression, using false fellowship, religious jargon, and with slightly irrelevant party-like personalities, they'll fake you out, only wanting to impress them and give credibility to their errant teaching. They want you to be embracing them, accepting them, and they want you to basically embrace their errant views. They won't look evil. False teaching, don't you wish we would actually, what we were in the inside actually showed on the outside? You could tell, come on, is anybody like that? You see a news reporter, I, I want to really want to know what you're like on the inside, you know, and all of a sudden you're like, whoa, I'm not going to listen to that. They're, they're not going to look evil, they're going to look happy. 
they're not going to act wicked, at least outwardly, or they, they can always determine, but they're going to act fun. And so God commands you as Christians to grow discerning. In 2 John, it says, turn away from them. Turn away from them. To do that, you need to understand, number three, their pleasures. Their pleasures. Verse 14, having eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin, enticing unstable souls, having a heart trained or exercised in greed, accursed children. Now, most false teachers have lost moral control. They are consumed with lust. They can't look at any woman without seeing her as a potential adulteress or a fornication partner. Peter's describing their private life, what they are in secret, what they dream about. They don't always speak it. They don't always show it, but they live out Matthew 5, 28. You know that verse. Everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Peter says their eyes are full of adultery. Listen, the problem isn't that they notice beautiful women. Everybody notices beautiful women. The issue is, the problem is they lust after every woman they see. They can't stop lusting. They're incessant with sin. They can't stop violating God's word and living contrary to God's character. They're given over to lust so they can't look at a woman without somehow fantasizing about her. Many false teachers are so driven with lust that Peter adds this. Look at verse 14. Never resting from their sins. They're driven. Never resting. They're driven. They've got to do this constantly. And they're enticing unstable souls. Now, the metaphor of enticing comes from fishing. You fishermen will love this. It means to catch with bait. They're fishing. False teachers, they don't catch the strong who are in the word, those who have sound doctrine, but they pray and entice the weak and mainly those who are close to faith. The unstable. That word unstable means unable to stop. Have you ever been with your children and you said, stop that, and they couldn't help themselves, they kept doing it? Some of you are going, that was me. Okay, that was sort of funny. But understand... That's exactly what the word unstable means. They're unable to stop. Like young kids can't stop themselves. They're not set fast. They're not firmly fixed in the word. They're not cemented in the word. Even Ephesians 4 says, no longer be children in doctrine. Now, you might want to write this down. Be dependent on your heavenly father like a child. But don't be like a child with doctrine or truth. Be dependent on your heavenly father like a child, like an innocent child. But when it comes to truth and doctrine, do not be a child. Understand the truth. Sound doctrine is the LASIK for your soul. Okay? It's, it's so you can see clearly. You'll only recognize error and identify false teachers when you wear the glasses of God's word. Uh, the Bible's the anchor which keeps your life from being pushed in the storm and pushed by these error false teachers. These false teachers are fishing for unstable women. They do it in counseling sessions and then use every manipulative tool in their arsenal to pursue their lust. Out of every 20 men who fail in ministry, are you ready for this? 19 fail because they counseled women privately. It's not to be. Women are to minister to women. Men are to minister to men. It's not to be. And these gives ground for false teachers. And Peter further identifies these fake teachers in verse 14. Look at it. He says, they're trained in covetous practices. He says, a heart trained in greed. And that word trained is what a coach does to prepare his athletes. 
Sadly, these false teachers have been coached by the evil one and how to manipulate others to give. Does that sound familiar to you on television? These false teachers are so well-schooled in greed and lust, they make it sound like all they do is for Jesus Christ, but what they do and all they do is for themselves. They're greedy and they're trained in how to get others to make them rich. Plus, they're also trained in how to sway unstable women to satisfy their lust. They're experts in greed. They're experts in seduction and trained by the coach of evil. Like fly fisherman aims his very disguised hook at certain pools and certain eddies in a river. These men, these servants of Satan, aim their greed and their seduction at the unstable. They go for the unstable. They're evil. They trick. They manipulate. They lure. They deceive. They target the unsuspecting and the undiscerning. And Peter shouts at the end of verse 14. What's he say? Accursed children. That's what he says. That's a Hebraism for the curse of sin, being dominant drive of their lives, effectively and objectively affirming they are doomed to eternal torment in hell. Verse 14 makes it clear apostates attend church gatherings. They do. They come to church gatherings for two reasons. First, to satisfy their own lusts. Second, to capture converts to fund their purposes. And a false teacher had a predisposition, a penchant to act like a wild animal. They're unashamed of public sin, and their secret pleasures of lust and greed are hidden but driving their lives. And Peter does not want you to be like them in any way. We need to be the opposite of what they are. The main goal here is for every Christian and every church at all times to be able to discern. You've got to filter what you see and what you hear. So take this home. Letter A, grow settled over what is right and what is wrong. Grow settled over that. Listen, Christian love does not mean you tolerate every doctrine nor every so-called lifestyle. The Bible is very clear. There are some actions and truth that are right, and there are other actions that are wrong. Can I hear an amen to that? They are. No Christian whose ongoing errant beliefs and ongoing defiant, disobedient behavior that's contrary to the Word of God should be permitted to share in the Lord's Supper or have any ministry in any church. That defiling influence will not be seen immediately, but like leaven, it will infect and cause harm. Understand, there is a right, there is a wrong. Letter B, do not ignore sin in your life. What kind of bait do the apostates use to catch people? Well, later in this chapter, it says they offer churchgoers liberty. And we'll look at that in the coming weeks here. This is probably a perversion of the grace of God. Like Jude 4, they turn the grace of God into licentiousness. They'll argue, well, since you're saved by grace, then you have the freedom to sin, and the more you sin, the more God's grace you'll experience. Doesn't that sound good? We're under grace. So if we sin, then we get more grace. You know what Paul's answer to that false argument was in Romans 6? He used the strongest negative in the Greek language. He said, may it never be. That is never to be a part of our thinking, never to be a part of anything. Yes, we need to treasure the grace of God. Are you as a Christian forgiven past, present, and future sin, all of it? Are you, yes or no? Yes, you are. But that does not mean that we should not take sin seriously. Although we presume on his grace. And my prayer is that you hear of the wickedness of the false teacher, you would run from your own sin. And the letter C, very important. There is no freedom outside of Christ. 
listen, I know that's the last blank to fill in, but don't put your stuff away. There can be no freedom and no fulfillment apart from submission to Jesus Christ. The purpose of life is not to find freedom. The purpose of life is to find your master. Just as a gifted musician finds freedom and fulfillment by playing and putting himself under a great conductor. Just like a great athlete finds freedom and fulfillment by putting him under the tutelage of a great coach. So every Christian who's here finds freedom and fulfillment under the authority and leadership of our Lord, friend, and Savior, Jesus Christ. Have you submitted your entire life to Jesus Christ? Are you playing Christianity? Or are you actually a Christian? Do you know about Christ or do you know Him? Intimately, all genuine, true, born-again Christians know personally Jesus Christ. I hope and pray you do. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for the challenge of these false teachers. Thank you for the way that you work in our midst and use your word. We pray, Father, that if there's any here who don't know you, that have been playing around Christianity. We know we've had people in our own church who have played around Christianity for 30 years before they actually came to the realization that they needed to repent, they needed to submit, they needed to be born again. Pray, Father, that if you choose to do so, that you would work in the hearts of some and draw them to yourself. For the rest of us, may we grow in our love of truth. When we grow in our love for the Savior who holds us secure, may we grow discerning so we don't expose ourselves to error, but we live the truth. May we reach out to those who are involved and infected and, and succumb to error that they might come and, and understand who you are and understand that you are the truth. We pray, Father, that you would be pleased with our response. That our response should be not just information that we've gained, but a heart that wants to pursue the truth and live the truth and love the truth because you are truth. Help us to enjoy our walk with you. And we pray, Father, that you would enrich it today. And we thank you for your word that gives us the filter to look at life through. The lens that is clear. Help us to be people who treasure that. Don't take that for granted. There's people that lost are walking around blind. And there are Christians who are walking around with cataracts because they've been so distorted by your word being taught wrongly or poorly. And we pray, Father, that we might be crystal clear and loving you and seeing you for who you are and rejoicing that we're one of your children. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening today. Sermon audio from the last three years is available by podcast, and a larger archive from Chris Mueller and Faith Bible Church can be found at media.faith-bible.net. And if you would, please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps a lot. Thanks, and have a great day.